name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. I'm really um, delighted to be here with you. I have uh, really enjoyed preparing these talks. Um, sometimes people um, ask me to, to speak on certain topics that I just don't enjoy. Um, preparing uh, but but I do it you know like it's 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 good for you you know um, it's like eating your vegetables but um, this has been a real it's been a real journey for me um, and I'm hoping that I can at least share uh, some of that journey with you and um, I've been praying uh, all throughout the day with a variety of different people that this would indeed be a journey um, for me and for uh, all of us and for you as well. So the title of the first talk was I Saddened Your Heart. And I kind of asked myself the question, can God be sad? Like the kinds of things that make me sad are usually things that are related to the fact that I don't know what's going to happen in the future, so to speak. Um, so I get disappointed. I get upset. I, I get discouraged. Um, um, and I get sad. Um, and so it really begged the question, does God get sad? Well, you know what? I guess the organizers of the conference are like a lot smarter than me because guess what? God does get sad. In fact, I had to look long and hard for something other than Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave because um, that's a kind of sad, but I didn't think that was the kind of sad that 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 um, that the organizers uh, had in mind when they planned these talks and they prepared prepared this conference, um, and so you know I did have to look a bit, but I I actually found, I think the most poignant verse of Jesus being sad. Do you remember this story where um, it was the Sabbath? And the Pharisees wanted to test Jesus. So what they did is they planted somebody with an atrophic limb, like a, a um, he had some kind of uh, neuromuscular degenerative sort of, you know, whatever something in, 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 one, in one arm. And they just kind of <laughs> planted him, you know, in the synagogue. And they just planted him there so that Jesus would see him. And they wanted to see what Jesus would do. They, they knew Jesus was compassionate, but they didn't know. And they knew Jesus didn't, didn't always stick to their understanding of the Sabbath laws, but they didn't know what Jesus would do. And it says, when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was as whole as the other. Why do you think Jesus was grieved? Like, like big picture here. You know what has helped me read the Bible a lot? My spiritual father once told me, Abuna, stop interpreting scripture and just read it. Remember, like, Jesus' followers were fishermen, and most of the world was illiterate until the printing press. People, people, you know, don't take things at face value because Jesus means them at face value. What grieved his heart? What's going on here? This was a setup. 
This was a setup where they used somebody with a disability. Can I tell you a personal story? I hadn't planned to tell this story. You know, we do, the, we do stuff um, in, in the city uh, uh, with the sort of disenfranchised of downtown, the, the poor and so on. And so um, there's this uh, other uh, church that we cooperate with a lot called St. John the Compassionate Mission, and we do our Sunday dinners there and such. When the Pope was coming to visit, I got, had this great idea, you know. Every church the Pope goes to, he listens to Choral, and like he has to listen to hours upon hours upon hours of Choral. And I love Choral as much as the next guy, and I'm sure the Pope absolutely adores Choral. For those of you in the audience who don't know what Choral is, it's choir that goes on and on and on at nauseum until you're thinking to yourself, you know, is it really worth it for me to slit my wrists? Because that's probably the most sure bet way of me getting myself out of here. And I'm sure the thought has crossed the Pope's mind. Um, and I remember at a certain choral that went on for no, no less than two hours, I actually texted a couple of the bishops. This, I, found, I found like these t-shirts and ball caps that say, I love choral. And I, I texted it to the bishops and, and all these, like three bishops just burst out laughing. All at the same time, the Pope looks at them. They look at me. I look, I look at I look, where are they looking? <laughs> yeah, you know, Koral, right? <laughs> Anyhow, so I decided, you know what? Let's invite the poor. Let's invite the Pope to Sunday suppers. Where we, like what we do at Sunday suppers, we sit at the tables with the poor. The poor, I hate that term. We all sit together and we all eat together and everybody's the same. Because eating dinner is something we're all probably going to do today or wish we could do today. And it's something we all know how to do. And it's something that we can easily do together. If you have some expert, you're an, you're an expert golf player, okay, you really don't want me to come play golf with you because I'm not. There are things you can do that I can't do that I can do that you can't do. But eating dinner is something we can all do together. Now, we couldn't have the Pope for, for dinner, so we had him for, for tea. So we had afternoon tea with the Pope. And, and so I was sharing this idea with the priest at St. John the Compassionate. And he says, he looks at me and he says to me, so you too, huh? Like, I thought you were different. And I was like, what? He's like, so you just want to use the poor so you can show off to your Pope. And I was like, gee, I never, I never thought about that. I really never thought about why, why am I really doing this? Am I doing this so the, the, so the Pope can have an experience which is slightly different from Quran? Or am I doing this to benefit the poor? Or am I doing this because I happen to have this awesome relationship with the poor that I can now take to my advantage? That's what these people were doing. That's what these people were doing. They didn't care about this man with the withered hand. They couldn't give two hoots about him. But they planted him there to test Jesus. That's number one thing that I'm sure really grieved Jesus' heart. Number two, they were testing him. What does it mean that they were testing him? That means they didn't believe him. We always talk about like believing in God. Like God is some like ideology or philosophy or whatever, right? So just replace believing in God. Replace that with your best friend, your spouse, your, you know, your, your neighbor, your friend, your mom. Replace that with their name, right? 
But don't put in, I don't believe in Mary. Do I believe Mary, my wife? I remember once, again, off the record, kind of, everything's recorded, but anyways. Um, uh, once uh, I, I was really annoyed uh, with, uh, you know, how we go about doing chores at home. Um, I'm not a clean freak, I'm a tidy freak, okay? Like, I just like everything to be where it belongs. If there are dust bunnies, I can turn a blind eye. But if there's, like, everything's all over the place, you know, like, I can't handle that. So, so one day, I got my, my knickers in a knot about that and got into, you know, and, and Mary, uh, um, um, my wife, wasn't well. And she tells me, look, I'm doing the best I can. And I told her, no, you're not. And I was... <laughs> And, um, and she started to cry. And she said to me, if I'm telling you I'm doing the best I can, then I'm doing the best I can. And that's when I realized that you can't tell, somebody tells you they're doing the best they can. This, you can't say, you can't tell them they're not. Like, how do you know? Like, like, how do you know, you know, what their best is today? Maybe their best yesterday or tomorrow. You know, maybe it's different. Maybe it, goes, maybe it changes throughout the day. Maybe a million things, right? What broke her heart at that moment was that I didn't believe her. I didn't believe her. That's what breaks God's heart. But it's not just any kind of disbelief because believing, believing and, is, and faith is, is a journey. And it's, it is, it's a gift which God gives us sometimes. But most of the time, we, we grow in believing somebody and we grow in b- believing them as, as we know them, as we have more shared positive experiences, we learn to trust them more. So, so it's, it, you know, it's not like God wants you to have the faith of Abraham yesterday, right? That's not the issue. The issue really... The issue is really rebellion. It's rebelling against believing God. It's when God tells me and I say, no, that kills God. That just kills him. The cross is a cakewalk for him compared to that. It's easy for him to look at the soldiers and look at the father and say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But after all he's done with me, after all we've been through, and he says, believe me. And I look him square in the eyes and say, no. I want to share with you, no joke, like the darkest story ever, like the worst chapter in the Bible. If, if I'm allowed to say this, Abuna, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Abuna, correct me if I say, I say funny things sometimes. I say like, you know, Abuna, please correct me. Honest, honest, no joke. The worst chapter in the Bible ever. I really wish I could just take a pair of scissors. You know, have anybody here of the heard of the Jefferson Bible? Thomas Jefferson, great guy. President of the United States, inventor of a million things, you know, great, great person. But he also, including inventing things, he invented his own Bible. He basically took, you know, the, you know, the Bible and he, he found the verses that just, he just couldn't get his head wrapped around them. So he took a pair of scissors, literally took a pair of scissors and cut them out, right? 
not don't do this at home. This is not endorsed by the Coptic Orthodox Church. You know, your Bible case can have highlighters, can have a notepad. It should not have a pair of scissors. Okay. Um, the Jefferson Bible, look it up, right? Honestly, honestly, if God would let me, I would cut this chapter out of the Bible. It's about King Saul. King Saul started well. He started great. You know, he was anointed king. The people wanted a king. Samuel chased him down and he said, I can't be the king. And he was really humble. He was. And when he was anointed king, he prophesied. And they said, Saul is prophesying with the prophets. Saul started really well. And you may be looking at me and telling me, but like Abuna, like, I don't, I, I don't know, like, you know, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not pagan. I'm not like, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't like, God didn't tell me to like part the Red Sea. And I told him no, or you know what I mean? Like, like, I don't know, like, I, I hope, you know, I hope you don't, you know, I hope you don't think I'm a bad person or something or no. King Saul was a great guy. He started great. But then first Samuel 15 happens. I'm gonna, I, you know, I, I cut out the, uh, like I, I kind of shortened the story just to make it a little bit, uh, you know, after my Jefferson thing, it sounds like I'm, you know, doing the wrong thing. Just to make it, fa- fa- but like I'll tell you the story, right? So basically, basically Saul tells King Saul, he tells him, look, God wants you to go and kill the Amalekites, okay? And, and Samuel is very clear. He says, Men, women, children, animals, everything. Raise it to the ground. You know, you and I hear that and we're like, genocide. Uh, I don't know how I feel about God, you know, talking about genocide. But anyways, that's a topic for another day. We can answer that as a question later if you want. Whatever, how, how do we, you know, God and genocide and how does all, all that work? But Saul goes off. And he fights against the Amalekites. And he wins. And he fights against the Amalekites and he wins. But then this idea comes up, whether it was his or was the people's. Later on, he says he pins it on the, on the people. It's not very clear. But he gets this idea. You know what? Let's keep the best of the sheep and let's keep the king. Agag was his name. Agag, king of the Amalekites. And let's not kill him. So that's what they do. God visits Samuel and he tells Samuel, he tells Samuel some really rough, some really rough stuff. But Saul spared the people, spared a gag and the best of the sheep and the ox and the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. In verse 11, God says to Samuel, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and not has performed my commandments. What? God can regret? God can regret. God can regret? I thought you said like, you know about this whole God being sad thing because God doesn't get disappointed. God knows the future, blah, blah, blah. God can regret? I don't know, man. It's pretty black and white. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. 
Saul didn't start bad. Saul started great. Samuel is shattered. Samuel actually loves Saul. We're going to see how much he loves Saul. Samuel was so shattered, it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. He spends all night crying to God, saying, no, no, God, there's, there must be another way. God says to Saul through Samuel, he says, as you have rejected my commandments, I also have rejected you as being king. There's a, key, there's a key word when we look at the disobedience of Saul. Let's see if you guys can pick it out. But Saul and the people spared a gag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. The verse goes on, but what do you think that word is? That word, the whole chapter hinges on it. Anybody throw up your hand and tell us. Unwilling. Unwilling. Saul was unwilling to do the will of God. Later on, when Samuel is trying, the same chapter, when Samuel is trying to explain to Saul, he's trying to explain to him the gravity of, of his behavior. He's trying to explain to him why it's such a big deal. Like it's not something small. So he, you know, like, like if I'm trying to tell you something is, if I'm trying to tell, um, tell you something is, you know, really important, I might liken it to something else. Right. So that's what he does. Right. He says, he says to him to obey is better than sacrifice to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Do you get that? He's saying disobedience, rebellion is as witchcraft. You know, you know what witchcraft is, right? I actually have a friend who's now a very devout Coptic Christian who was born and raised in a family of, of witches. They're like Wiccan, you know? And one night she had a dream that her soul went to hell and she, she thinks that she really saw hell. And that was enough. That was enough to, 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 to begin her, her walk with God. What, what is witchcraft? It's the worship of demons. That's, that's what it is, right? It's saying disobedience to God, rebellion against God is like worshiping demons. One of the Psalms in the ninth hour says that for all the idols of the peoples are demons. You know, when you think to yourself like, like, you know, is this okay? Is that okay? Look, any idol that we worship other than God is a demon, is demonic, period. As simple as that. As simple as that.
I'm sure if you're here, if you drove, took us like 17 hours to get here. I don't know about you. If you, if you made it here, not everybody who started made it here. Some of you got eaten by lions and some of you, some of you did not make the 17 hour journey. But in fairness to the conference and the organizers, they did offer me a ride. And at the last minute, I decided to, 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 to bring the family. But um, you, you, I'm sure you, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're all good people. I'm certain. And I'm, I'm not such a bad guy myself. But am I, if I don't say so myself. But, but where am I today? I want you and me to ask ourselves, where am I today? How, how do I compare today to my walk with God at other times in my life? Am I, am I going strong? Am I going, like St. Paul says, from faith to faith and glory to glory? Or where am I today? And where was I yesterday? Am I sliding backwards? And that's, what we're gonna, that's really what we're going we're gonna to talk about. That in, the, in Proverbs 14, it says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And the, the verse, just two verses before, says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the ways of death. So, first of all, let's just talk about what backsliding is not. Backsliding is not just a change in emotions. You hear a talk, you come to a conference, the worship music, the, and your heart is really moved, and you really want to draw near to God. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you're talking with friends and this and that, and, and you know the, the feelings that you felt aren't there anymore. That's not what backsliding is. Our, our feelings are feelings. They, 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 they go this way, they go that way, you know, they're very, you know, they, they, they move around a lot, right? They can be volatile. It's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're in a bad mood, it's great that your feelings are volatile. You're much more closer to being in a good mood than if your feelings don't change very quickly, right? That's not what backsliding is. Backsliding, backsliding is taking back my consecration to God and to his service. That's something that backsliding is. Once upon a time, I told God I would follow him wherever he went. And now all of a sudden, not so much. Backsliding is withdrawing my entire and universal devotion to God. What will necessarily happen what will necessarily happen? The day after I said, Lord, all of my heart is yours. And I sang it and I said it and I prayed it and I really meant it from all my heart. And the next day it's like, God, you know, like 90% for you. Look, I tell you the truth. We say 90% for you, 10% for me. What happens in that 10%? Is that, is that exactly what happened with Saul? Saul obeyed. I mean, he, he, he annihilated, you know, a whole nation, except for the king and a bunch of sheep. Like, what percentage is that? That's, like, uh, that's upwards of 99. But what happens, what God is trying to tell you and he's trying to tell me is that 
The devil takes up residence in that remaining 0.7%. And it starts off as 0.7 and then it becomes 1.3 and then it becomes 2 and then it becomes 5 and then before you know it, you're not left with anything. God is so gentle and so sweet and so kind, He won't ever force your hand into something. He's like the worst salesman on the face of the earth. The devil, the opposite. Give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You know what? Don't even give him the inch. Try and keep the inch. He will arm wrestle it out of your hand and take the mile. 